He has risen. All right, you guys were better than first service. It's true. He has risen, and he is alive, and it is, it is good that he has risen. In fact, if you, if you can just bear with me for a second, I'm going to take us back to where we've been these last few weeks. It kind of culminates and moves up to today. And the fact that everything that we are doing, everything that we've talked about, is, is surrendered and, and centered on Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what, is he, do, what he is doing in and through us with his spirit. And so, so I'm really excited about this. We've been talking about these, these last four weeks, we've been talking about this idea of being devoted to the mess and, and kind of pressed on you early on in the very first week where I said, look, God has, has created a people. He's, he's, he's taken a people that were far from him and people that were close to him. Maybe you were, you were never raised in the church. You've never been around the church. You've never experienced church. You never really understood Jesus. And he's taken those people, you, you, you individuals, and then those who are, are near, those who were raised in the church and, and have the Awanas badges, and they were like, they have it memorized, and they're the fastest ones to the, to the, to the past pastors when I say to turn there. He's taken both of those people, and he's preached peace to all. And what he's done is through Jesus Christ, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he has made a people. In fact, Ephesians 1, if we look at Ephesians 1, where it's talking about, Paul is talking about the, uh, the resurrection of Christ, and he talks about because of the resurrection, God has given through, through the resurrection, God has given all power to Jesus, and he is head of the church. And so the church is, is gathered today, and what, what every Bible-believing church today is talking about, the resurrected Christ, the, the Messiah, the Jesus that, that didn't stay in the grave, the Jesus that hung on a cross for our sins and, and walked out three days later and was defeated and conquering all sin and brokenness. And so, so although he has preached peace to those who are far near, Christ being the cornerstone, the center, he has made us a people with a purpose. Our purpose is to display the manifold wisdom of God. We saw that in Ephesians 3. We are, we are, we are together. God is delighted to dwell in us together, and we are going to display the manifold wisdom of God. So it's something where we have to be together. Well, now, if that's the case, if, if, his, if he's made a church, if he's created a people, that he's, he's, he's taken and he's, he's removed the four walls of the temple, and he's made a temple of the existence of the Holy Spirit living inside of those who have surrendered to Jesus Christ, then what he's done is he's, he's created a people with a purpose. And if that's the case, then there is something that we are supposed to do. There is a way we are to interact, and, and we've, we've entitled this as this devoted to the mess. So if he's made this people, then the, out of the messiness, what does it mean for us to be devoted to it? And so the, the, the second week we talked about what does it mean for those of us that have surrendered to Christ, those of us that would say Jesus is our Lord and Savior, what does it mean for us to be devoted to the world? And we looked at, we looked at uh, Matthew 5 where Jesus talks about being salt and light, being, doing the work of God and, and, and preaching the word of God. Salt and light. We're called as followers of Jesus to be salt and light. In fact, we looked at a, a common story in the, in the Bible, if you haven't heard it, but it's, it's Jesus preaching to a, a Samaritan woman at a well. And so he's, he's, he goes in there, and we, we looked at how he was very intentional in meeting this woman. Jesus didn't just happen to, but he was intentional in entering into this. And although it was culturally unacceptable, he jumped in relationally with her and started having an interaction that, that broke the, the theology and, and, and came right down to the heart of the matter. And so Jesus was very intentional, and he was very relational, and that at the same point, he embodied and communicated and fully shared with her grace and truth. And I talked about if we are his people to be devoted to the world, then we have to be willing to be intentional, relational, and embody grace and truth. And that that's what it means for us to be salt and light. And then the following week, we talked about the church and the messiness of the church. And, and all of you gathered today in, in a building, and, and all those 
gather around the world, despite what may try to be portrayed, we are a mess. Right? We're a mess. We can put on fancy clothes and smile and say it was a good week, but really we're a mess. And what I talked about is out of Romans 12, where, where the Apostle Paul says that we are to be devoted to one another. The, the messiness is that, that when, as a brother and sister in Christ, I am to be devoted to you as a brother or sister. And that's not one single worthy act, but it's actually a lifestyle of devotion. In fact, in the New Testament alone, there are, over, there are 59 commands of how I am, as a believer of Jesus, to treat other believers of Jesus. 59 one another, admonish one another, serve one another, care for one another, bear one another's burdens. It just goes on and on and on, and we push to the fact that we, we have to be willing to devote to the messiness of the church. And then the following week after that, we talked about, and it was on Palm Sunday, we, we gave you guys space to, to, to talk about what does it mean to be devoted to repentance? That ultimately, we know that our relationships are a mess. We can see the stickiness and the messiness and how there's broken ties and all of us are struggling to be real or vulnerable and we have, whether it's in the church or out of the church or it's family or, or it's family through Christ, we just see this broken mess. And usually it's because of sins. It's, it's, it's us sinning against someone and what is the right way for us to go to make that right? And I pushed on you and said, look, Jesus gave us kind of two, two realities. He talked about in Matthew chapter 5 where he talks about, he uses this hypothetical situation where this guy is, is getting ready to worship at the altar and realizes and remembers that there was a, a, a wrong, an offense he had done that someone has against him. He's to leave his, his offering there and go first be reconciled. Jesus ties our worship to God through our reconciliation with others. And then he says it a little bit more boldly just in chapter 6, verse 14, where he says, forgive one another just as God has forgiven you. In fact, if you don't forgive one another, then he won't forgive you. And so I pushed on you. And he said, guys, look, this week, this week, let's, let's spend time letting God search our hearts. Psalm 139, God, search my heart. Just, just show me the way of everlasting. That if there's anything in me, reveal it. And we came to Good Friday and I encourage you guys to go to, to the Lord's Supper to take communion, but to do so with a, with a clear conscience where you've, you've, you've labored it hard, like the Apostle Paul says in Acts 24, to be both at, at peace with men and God. Where you've worked hard and we said, okay, let's, let's, let's enter into this broken messiness of, of reconciliation. And I've seen so many different conversations with different people where I've heard story after story of, of wrongs forgiven, of, of relationships moving towards restoration and reconciliation. And that's all amazing, but, but ultimately you and I both know that as difficult as it is to be devoted to the mess, it almost at times seems impossible. In fact, in fact uh, today as we celebrate Easter, it's, it's, it's the biggest thing that we can celebrate in church. And the reason why isn't just because Jesus was risen. That, that is in and of itself pretty amazing. Like, look, if, you, if you're fully dead and then you're fully alive, like, that's a pretty incredible thing by, it of its, by itself. Like, I, I mean, look, I'm not a medical person, but that's, that's awesome, right? And even to do it three days later, that that's kind of extends the awesomeness, right? But as, as amazing as that is, as incredible as that is, it, it's kind of pointless if it wasn't first, if he wasn't first incarnated and lived a perfect life and then crucified for our behalf. As amazing as that is, it takes that full picture. And so let me, let me just spell this out for a second. Let me just set this up. Jesus raising from the dead is incredible. Like I said, it's, it's, it's awesome. But it took him incarnating. It took him coming into this world, 
born of a virgin, lived submitting himself as to the parents of people he created. Like, let's be honest. To incarnate means to become flesh. Right? It was, the, it, was the, it, was the, it was the Jesus the man as the second person of the Trinity becoming human being so that he can live a perfect life for you and I so that reconciliation and restoration and redemption could happen. But it only happens if he's the perfect sacrifice. And so what we all celebrate and we tried to push on you on Good Friday is, 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 the, is that it, wasn't, it didn't seem good. Right? Jesus, Jesus was brutally beaten and, and hung on a cross and, 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 and killed. And he did so, like laying himself down for this. And so he was crucified in the, the most horrific way ever. But for us and why we celebrate today is because he didn't stay on that cross. And they, they took him off the cross and he went into the tomb, but he didn't even stay in the tomb. He walked out of there. Amen? See, Jesus walked out of there. Now, what, do, you see, do you see what this means? The only way that we will ever be devoted to the messiness of the relationships in our life is if we understand first he was devoted to this mess. See, I can only devote myself so much to you if I don't realize how much he's devoted himself to me. In fact, let's just, the, the cross, this is the cross where we gave you guys space to hammer things to the cross on Good Friday. Things that you've been, you've been carrying you need to let go of. And we said, hammer that stuff to the cross. The cross is the perfect visual aid of just how messy God was willing to get for our behalf. You realize that? Like, he was willing to, he was, it wasn't, he's not some deity, some in distant way going, okay, good luck, guys, figure this out. Oh, hope, you know, like kind of call in place from the background. He said, no, he rolled up his sleeves. He stepped right down into the messiness of us, became a man so he could be crucified. So, he could be, so that through his blood, the sins could be forgiven of those who surrender to him. It's a perfect visual aid of just how messy God is willing to get. He got down and played in the dirt. In fact, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, if Jesus isn't the risen Messiah King, then we're all stuck on the shortness that we feel and falling. But if you just read just a little bit further, right, right into verse 24, it says, And are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. He took the wrath of God through his blood to be received by faith. So, so although we fall short, God brings in Christ, and Christ willingly lays himself down for you and I, for those who surrender to him. See, God is, is so devoted to the messiness of us that he crucified Jesus Christ. So when we struggle to, to when, we, when we push and go, I, struggle, I, can't, I can't be devoted to my call to the world, or I can't, I can't really be devoted to one another, I, I, there's no way I'm going to forgive, then we're, we're forgetting what God did for us through the cross. We're forgetting how much he put into this mess. In fact, he did so much, we see it, it was prophesied in Isaiah 30, or 53, speaking about Jesus. But he was, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Upon him we were brought peace. Upon him we were brought peace. 
And with his wounds we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of most of you good Christians in the room. No. No, he, he laid the iniquity of all of it on him. For all. He did. God did what only he could do. And that's redeemed that which seemed completely unredeemable. He did it through a perfect person. You realize, like, Jesus coming down as a man, I think we, we forget, like, just how relational that is. Like, it took him leaving the, the throne room of God to, to become a man in the most humble way possible. We have scriptures that talk about him being tired being exhausted. We see him weeping with us. We see him serving with us. We see him being a man with us. He came in the most relational way possible. He didn't just stand at a distance. He entered in. He felt the pain we feel. He felt the loss, the sadness. He felt rejection. He took all of it without sin so that he could be that perfect sacrifice that doesn't get stuck in the grave. See, he defeated it all, including death. And this is why we celebrate today. This is why so many of you come to church today is because he's risen, because he is alive. He's not, it's not that he lived some distant years ago, died, and then miraculously showed up three days later and lived, and then now he's gone. No, he's still very alive and very active. He still has his work to be done. He's still making his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And he's invited us to be a part of it so we can be devoted to the mess because he's devoted to your messiness and my messiness. I mean, look at the cross. None of us is confused at just how messy he had to go for us. Not one of those notes up there says, I'm a perfect person and everything's great, but you might as well take it anyway since you're doing it for everyone else. No. It's the, it's the brokenness that we feel and we carry and we see the separation of it. And Christ says, no, no, don't worry. God isn't going to forget your sins. He's going to remember Hebrews 8. He chooses to remember no more. He's going to look at me. First John talks about Jesus being our advocate. Right? It's like he's up there going, oh, no, no, I got this, God. You know, look at me here. Yeah, yeah, Brent messed up again, but, you know, that's him. It's cool. I got this. Look at me. He's an advocate. He is, he is for me, for you, for those who have surrendered to Christ. So him being risen, everything in Scripture is hinged on that. If he doesn't rise from the dead, this book changes an awful lot. Colossians 1 says that, 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 that the fullness of God was delighted to dwell in him. The fullness of God. So, so everything of God was in Jesus Christ, and he hung on that cross for us and then was buried and then walked right out of that grave. And I don't, I don't know about you, but as I start thinking about what, what it looks like in our life, I can't help but think that as many people show up on an Easter service, that you might be hoping for less than what Jesus actually did. In fact, we see that in Luke 24, where, where a couple of Jesus' disciples are walking on this road to Emmaus on the way out of Jerusalem, and they're walking along, and Jesus shows up on the scene. And they don't know it's Jesus, and he kind of conceals himself somehow, and he starts talking to them. And the first words out of their, help, their mouth is when he's like, what's going on? Why are you doing it? He's like, they said, we had hoped. 
man, we had hoped. I had hoped that he would do this. We had hoped he would come in and crush Rome. And Jesus, in this, in this amazing scene right here, un- like opens their eyes and unveils all the scripture. And he could have pointed to anything. He said, look, I'm the promise of Genesis 3. I'm the, I'm the Passover lamb. I'm the, I'm the king of the tribe of Judah. He could have pointed at every single thing. But ultimately what he was saying is, look, it all was hinged on me. It's all about me. And I'm walking beside you right now having a conversation. I could have delivered this news from heaven, opened it up, said, there it is. He said, no, no. I'm coming right here next to you. I'm going to walk. And my assumption is some of you here today, you're hoping for less. You're hoping that you'll get married or you're hoping that you'll get good grades or you're hoping that, that maybe this relationship would be stored. or you're, you're hoping for something so much smaller than what Jesus did on the cross and through the tomb. You, you, you've narrowed in and you need to zoom out. You need to realize that, that, that this isn't just another day. Look, some of us, we've, we've been... We've been through so many Easter's that we're like, yeah, yeah, okay, Jesus died, he made it. It's like we watch it and fast forward. But yet the only reason that you and I will ever in any way, shape, or form be devoted to any of this mess in this world or each other or spouses, anyway, only way we're going to ever show the love that he shows because he first loved us. Because he did this because he was risen. Because of what he's done. Those of us in Christ have experienced love, so we love. We've experienced grace, so we can extend grace. We've experienced his forgiveness, so then we can forgive. We've experienced this ridiculously tenacious devotion to us as our messiness. Why I was the messiest, he died on that cross for me. So we can actually be devoted to the messiness of this world or to each other or to our relationships. See, everything's hinged on the cross and the work of, the, of Jesus Christ and the fact that he's risen. So what are you hoping for? Could it, could it just be, I mean, just possibly, could you be just maybe hoping for something so much smaller than what he's doing? Some of you in here, you've, you've, you've maybe come to church on uh, Easter every year, or you, you show up once in a while, or you kind of check the boxes. I, you know, I just want to check it out, but you don't really feel like there's anything here for you. Like you don't really feel like when you open up the words, you're like, man, I don't know if there's anything in here that's really going to be of any value to me. I'm not really sure that this really matters or what's going on. And I, I think, let me just, let me just say this as, as nicely as I can. This whole book isn't really about you. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done and doing for us. But you know what's so amazing is we're the recipients of that love. Like all the work that God's doing in this and all the work he's doing to point and all the prophecies, everything that kind of builds up to who Jesus Christ is, the fact that he, he walks that, that lonely walk carrying that cross and he, he gets hung on it with these two thieves and dies and spills his blood for us, all of that work and then raised three days later, all of that work is so that you could be restored to God. You could have hope. Way more than a hope of a, a relationship being restored or or even sharing your faith with an an unbeliever, although all that is a part of it. So maybe you're here today and you're like, I just, I don't know if this is for me. me. Let me tell you, whether you write it or not and hammer it to the cross, God knows about it. Whether you write it down, you don't even have to think, like you're right now going, oh, don't think about it. Maybe he'll he'll not. Like, no, he, he created you. He knows everything about you. 
And that's what makes this so ridiculously messy, is that he knows, knows every single thing about you, and he still hung on that cross for you. He still said, you know what? I'm going to come in. I'm going to embody this flesh. And I'm going to do something for all my image bearers that's going to blow their mind. And they'll talk about it year after year after year after year on a day they call the Easter. Because God is devoted to this mess. He's devoted to, to this mess. He's devoted to you. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't know if I should. I, I thought I believed that one time. I've heard that and you kind of checked out. My encouragement would be, look, maybe, maybe you hope for something less. Maybe you missed all along what he was doing. Some of you, you've, you've been coming to church for a long time. You, you follow Jesus and this is, you just fast forward. It's like, yeah, I've heard this. Watched, I watched The Passion of Christ like 12 times. Like, I got it figured out. You know, you're like, you just kind of move on. And fast forward. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that today we're doing a baptism. Right? Because, because baptism is, is one more way for us to see that relationship happened. Right? Baptism is, is a way for someone to say, look, I, I, have, I, have, I, have, I have been, I am dying to my old self. I'm bearing myself with Christ and re- resurrecting with him. It's this, it's this beautiful picture of, of, of what it means to be surrendered. It's, a, it's an obedience thing. And so maybe some of you, you've been coming, and I, I, I joke about this every time we do baptisms because these stories always happen. I've been following Jesus for a long time, and maybe I, I was kind of baptized when I was little, but I didn't know what it meant. And we just, you've just been kind of holding out on this day. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't want to be baptized because I don't, I don't think I have it figured out. Or you, you, you're like, man, I, I feel like I, you know, I, don't, I don't look good with wet hair. I don't know what excuses you're using, Right? Well, you know, in Acts, when they baptized thousands of people, I can guarantee there was a lot of soggy clothes that day. They didn't show up ready. But they just realized how invasive God is when he starts playing in the mess of our lives. They said, I want nothing more than to be with a God that can come into this mess and love me in spite of everything I've done. And so maybe some of you are here today, we got, we got one baptism, we had one in the first service. You, maybe some of you are like, I think I need to leave with wet clothes. Like it's time to, to make this declaration. I, I want to encourage you to do it because, look, here's, here, here's why. It's, it's a declaration of what he's doing inside. And what better, better way to do it than with the, the entire church gathered together displaying his manifold wisdom a place in which God, not because of the building or anything that we're doing, but because of those that are surrendered to Christ, he is delighted to dwell in. What better way to do that? So we're going to do a baptism today, and we're going to remind you. It's one more way to remind you that God entered into this relationally. He didn't just sit at a distance and go, oh, man, that's messy. That smells bad. I'm out. No, he, he rolled up his sleeves got in and said, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this right. So I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're hoping for. Whether you've been in or out of the church for a long time, my, my, my hope is, is that, like I've said this entire series, is that you would, you would just understand that God is taking you somewhere in devotion, but he did it first for you. Like, the, like, again, we can't be devoted to anything if it weren't for his devotion to us. 
And so we're gonna, I'm going to talk about baptism real quick. It, it's, it's, a, it's by virtue of reminding us of our connection to Jesus and to each other. Baptism is supposed to be incredibly meaningful. It's, it's, it's in Christianity. Like I said, a lot of us struggle sometimes to see the meaningfulness of this, but I can't help but think of a better day to rise out of the water than the day we're celebrating the risen king, right? Doesn't that symbolism mean anything to any of us? I, I hope it does. We believe simply that the Bible presents baptism as an outward witness of an inward faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We see in Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see here that he tells us to baptize in the name of the Trinity, but it's a command to do so. It's, it's an amazing thing, but what I wanted to focus on in this baptism, and before we get Emily up here, but what I wanted to focus on is, is it's, a, it's a union with us in Christ. So when you, when you get baptized, it's not that the baptism saves you. It's by faith alone we're saved. We see that in Romans, right? But, but, but it's a union with Christ. It's saying, no, I, I am dying to self, and I'm coming out a new creation, a new heart. Not in the baptism, that comes through the salvation in Jesus Christ. Baptism is that symbol. In fact, Romans 6, 3-4 talks about this union. It says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's Good Friday. We were buried, therefore, with him on Good Friday by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised three days later from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, baptism is this, is this analogy, it's this, it's this symbolism of what God is doing in our lives. I, I've used this analogy before, but it's like, it's like a wedding ring, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm not married because I'm wearing a wedding ring. I'm married because of the covenant I made before God. It's not like, oop, unmarried, married. Nope. I mean, some of you may do that. That's a whole other issue of devotion. But, but what I'm saying is, is that ultimately my devotion to God is, is in the covenantal relationship in marriage, just like my devotion to God is covenantally sealed in the cross of the work of Jesus Christ. But baptism is an act of obedience to symbolize that. It's, it's the first litmus test of a follower of Jesus. So some of you that are here, you're like, well, I, you know, I put on a good tie. Take the tie off. Oh, we got, a, we got an Easter egg hunt. Well, you're going to sweat anyway, so you might as well get wet. I didn't bring a towel. Good news, we got two. Right? I'll take every excuse away. But my point is this, is some of you have been disobedient in this because you've forgotten somehow you've, you've been allowed to think or you've believed that God didn't go to extremely ridiculous lengths to devote himself to your mess. And so, Emily, if you can come up real quick, we're going we're gonna to do a baptism. And then after baptism, um, we're going we're gonna to worship as well. And I'm going to go to the back. So if you're still considering to get baptized and you want to have a conversation with me, go ahead and come back. You can